Hi, everybody, and welcome to the new episode of the End of Cells podcast. This is another segment to our special guest series, and I'm delighted to be joined by John Hearn, a former Celtic player. Player, How are you, John? Yes, I'm all good, yeah. Just keep moving. No well. problem. No worries. Well, thanks for coming on the show. We really appreciate it. Yeah, that's no problem at all, yeah. No worries. So we're just going to talk about your career today. So we'll crack on with the first thing I kind of want to talk about. Everyone who listens to the podcast knows I'm a big advocate for the Youth Academy, and I'm, I'm kind of pushing for more youth players to be given the chance at Celtic. So starting where you started with Celtic, obviously <clears throat> you were a young boy coming through. What age did you get signed for Celtic? Um, actually, I actually went to sign. It's a funny story. One of the first teams that actually come into me was Rangers. And obviously, as you know, I'm from Cote Bridge, so that wasn't going to go down well. So um, six months later, I ended up signing at Celtic when I was when I was eight, just before I turned eight. So um, yeah, just seven, eight, eight I was there. So long time, yeah. So you, you were saying that Eight years old for Celtic. How, how does that even happen? Is it like a school partnership going on, or did this come to like? No, it's it, mad because I didn't. I didn't even play for a football team. Then it was. I was just playing in school, just kicking about as most wee boys do. And it was actually the janitor. The janitor said to my dad one day when my dad came up to um, do one of those to go and see your teachers now, one of those things. And um, he came to me. He came to my dad and says, "Listen, you need to. Have you seen your boy and stuff? You need to really think about getting him on a football team." But I used to do loads of stuff. I used to do football, boxing. I even done take one as well for a long time. And um, so I was just really liked everything. I was one of those wee boys that probably just quite naturally gifted at most wee things without sounding too big-headed. Do you know what I mean? I was actually all right in most things. So I never even had a, I didn't play for a boys club or anything. And then obviously my dad's um, my dad's cousin at the time was playing for Albion Rovers, the first even. They are just like a small, um, I think they're Division 3 or Division 2 or something in Scotland. So his cousin got me involved with their, their team, it was under 10s, and uh, I went there once, twice a night, and then I was there for six months, and that's when I ended up just getting, there was a few scouts coming, as I say, Rangers came, and they invited me to Murray Park to go and um, play with their, sign with their youth team, more or less, but obviously that got, that got squashed straight away, so then, as I said, a couple <coughs> months later, I don't even think it was six months, a couple months later, Celtic came, and yeah, it was big, to be fair, even, I know, at a young age, it was... People probably don't think that, but for a boy from Cope Bridge, it's a big thing. So I went there, and from then on, as I said, they didn't have an age group. I was just about eight. They didn't have an age group, and I went and played a, a year or a year and a half, nearly two years above myself because they didn't have an age group at the time. And as I said, there was a lot of people phoning, and even teams in England, lower teams, phoning about young boys because they, they were big on their academy as well at the time down there. Yeah. Signing and, I mean, and pack. so um, I ended up just signing there and playing for the, I played with a year above myself for two years more or less because they didn't have an age group for myself. So I was, I was lucky that way. See, I'll, I'll go back to the way you say you're not very gifted. I, I tried a <laughs> jiu-jitsu for about six months. <laughs> oh, mate, didn't he make brown belt? I was shocking. But see, see get on to like the, like the likes of signing for Celtic when you're eight years old and you're playing two years above yourself. Is that yeah. like, uh, is, what kind of contract is that? Is that like, um, uh, YTS, no, like the youth scheme they do, or is it just it's not basically even YTS? Because YTS, I think, I think the way obviously Scotland and England are different. England, obviously, they sign you on YTS and you've got a year to prove yourself more or less, and then you go into professional terms. When I was at Celtic, I never, I've never signed a YTS, I only signed professional when I left school, so it wasn't even a YTS, it was just like a you signed to their youth academy. It's, they make a big thing and stuff like you're going to the you're going to meet your parents, you're going to Celtic Park and stuff, and you're eight years old. And I was eight, I didn't really know what was going on, do you know what I mean? I know it was Celtic, because one of the big things for me was, um, as I say, come from Cote Bridge, you don't have, uh, my mum and dad were separated as well, so I didn't have like a, 
I wouldn't say I wasn't fortunate, but I didn't have a lot of things, you know what I mean, growing up. Like, my dad had to work two, three jobs to make sure I got a pair of boots or even, like, a tracksuit or something at Christmas, do you know what I mean? So I didn't have a lot going at the time, like, financially and stuff for my family. So um, the big thing for us was, the big thing for me was we used to go in and they used to give you, they start every year, like, the, they used to give you four pairs of Celtic training kit, like, shorts, t-shirt, jumpers, rain jackets. They gave you, like, two, three pairs of, like, running trainers. They gave you one pair of boots. They gave you, like, the big, massive, puffy jackets. They gave you so much. So for me, that was the whole thing when I first signed. It was like, oh my God, look at all this Celtic stuff I've been given. It was just crazy. That was for, what I can remember at the time. Like, I've got pictures and stuff. I was when I was eight signing in at Celtic Park myself, my dad, Tommy Burns and stuff. But I can't really remember that. But the only thing I can remember is like getting home and I had these two big massive bags and it was just full of Celtic stuff. And I'm thinking, <laughs> oh my God, like, I used to wait and ask for like a tracksuit from like January and used to get it at Christmas. Do you know what I mean? So didn't have much. But I've got yeah. like four or five tracksuits here and polo shots. And I was like, what is a polo shot? Do you know what I mean? So I'd be, be, be so much stuff. And that was eight years of age. And then you get that every single year or six months. You get it at the start of the season, obviously. And then you get it at Christmas. If you get if you like grow and get bigger, if you move age groups, you get, do you know what I mean? So I, that was the big thing for me at a young age. That was, I just loved getting all the kit and stuff. Because I was I obviously come from Cobridge, as I say, I'm a massive Celtic fan. So that was the, the big point for me. That's the big thing yeah. I couldn't remember anyway. I didn't actually sign a contract, as you say, you go in and you sign like you sign to their youth team and um, you put, it's like huddle, like the huddle um, youth team or something, you sign the papers. I've still, I actually still got all the papers, it's something that my dad's always kept every year and it's only one year, more or less, you sign every year. So um, even from eight years of age, I'm sure you've gone to it, but that's the pressure. You're eight years of age and you're like, I can't be the worst player here because if I'm bad for three, four months here, I'm, I'm getting released, do you know what I mean? So... That's yeah. the pressure again as well. Come up starting at eight years of age, you just you continually just have to carry that with you, and that's just the way it is. See, see as well, like um, talking about the, the pressure itself. Like, I, I heard a thing just recently. So, see when you sign in early age, do they stop you from like playing in the streets with your mates, or is that just like a myth? Because um, ex- they don't stop you playing. Like I used to every day after school. Like I when I was eight years of age, I used to train three times a week. Eight years of age, three times a week, and then you'd your game, so you're four times a week. So it was hard for me, never mind my parents, to try to get me. As I said, mum and dad were separated. I live with my dad. So my dad used to have to work two or three jobs just to get by. But then they also had the, the strain of having to get me to a training. And I'm from Coke Bridge, and it's like maybe 45 minutes from Glasgow. So at the time, it was Barrafield. Lennox Town wasn't there, obviously. So it was Barrafield. So my dad used to work on the buses. So I actually used to go to school. My granny lived at the top of the hill where the school was. I used to run there. And my dad used to leave my training stuff there the night before. She used to give me dinner. I used to run down the hill, big massive hill. I always remember it, run down it. And my dad used to drive the buses from Coatbridge to Glasgow. Two, six, two, they were the big number it was. I don't ever forget. And my dad used to drive them. And he used to wait. He used to be, my dad used to have to wait at the bus stop for like six minutes just so he could wait till I jumped on the bus. And he used to go into Glasgow and the, the bus station was right behind Barrafield. So he used to just go there. And then it got to a stage when the people, always the same people were on the same bus at the same time. So they also knew, oh, we're waiting here, John's son's coming. And then he used to yeah. take my detour for six minutes, take them a detour on drop me at Barryfield because it's obviously people that's been around there. It's a wee bit dodgy around there and rough. So uh, my dad used to say, I'm not, not having you walk through that park around there. So he used to take me and drop me straight at Barryfield every single day. People on the bus loved it, mind you, but it was just uh, I just have that people I, have to, I mean, they go I, just to make sure their kids will ever get it. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, You're hundred percent right. Same you mentioned the, the big hill. I just had business. You run down the big hill, the bus was coming, you had to jump in while it was moving. I don't know why. <laughs> Yeah, well, I 
didn't, I didn't even, that's what I'm saying, I didn't even get the opportunity. Obviously, in the summer and stuff, when you were off, you used to go over, you used to, like, every other boy, I'm sure, take a football, kick it over the fence, jump over the fence and go into the pitch because the pitches were locked. But as I said before, I used to do boxing, I used to do take one door, and I could do them, I used to do take one door one day a week, so it was fine. Um, juggling it around because it was actually worked out because the take one door was the day I didn't go to um, football training but then when I was actually it was, it was starting to get really serious like maybe under 14s 15s take one door was getting serious as well like, I actually was a black belt and stuff I was going from like my, my dance at the time first dance and then they told me I had to pick between that or um, take one door so obviously I had to drop take one door and obviously boxing got serious and a few of my, my mates ended up turning professional boxers and stuff like used to spar and stuff with Ricky Burns and got the same bar and stuff as him so they obviously went Obviously, they're a lot older than me, but that's how I used to do it with. So, obviously, I had to scrap all that as well and just fully focus on um, the football, which obviously turned out all right. So. What, was it always football for you or were, were they hard choices, when, especially when you're doing well every other sport you're competing at? Um, no, it was, it was always easy because I always, listen, there's no point in beating around the bush. Everyone used to take on doors and never going to pay bills, you know what I mean, or help my dad. <laughs> or, do you know what I mean? Boxing, yes, but like I only, like, as people know from from the area that I'm from, you only do that to, to be able to look after yourself and if anything goes wrong in the street to be able to protect yourself and it's the main reason why I've done it, it's the main reason why my dad and um, my mum to a certain degree as well put me through to take one down boxing because they just wanted to make sure if anything went wrong and I was in the position that I could that I could not handle myself but I was kind of handle myself but at the same time um, look after myself and if, if I was in with anyone else so that was the main reason and as I said before uh, at the start of the show, anything I took up I just kind of fell in love with it and just kept doing it. I was never one of those people just to do something and, and just bin it off, do you know what I mean? Like even, yeah. badminton, even badminton and stuff in school, I used to do badminton and ended up going to badminton classes after school. And I used to just do anything because it was free, do you know what I mean? So it was like, would well, yeah. I just go home and sit in the house? Or if you had to pay for it, it'd be different because I didn't have, as I say, I didn't have the financial means or anything to, to do that. And that's just the way it was. It's, there's no point beating around the bush. That's just the way it was, do you know what I mean? So it was handy enough for me that, that I could I think do all those and it didn't cost me yeah. anything, so... I think it's a choice as well. Um, John, you either keep yourself occupied, or as you said, you fall into the trouble and you have to protect yeah, exactly. yourself. In the street, so, mean, so around that time as well, like um, I don't want to keep saying it, but around that time where I was from, like the gangs were really big, um, and a few of my mates that I grew up with and whatever, a few of them are in jail. And yeah, some of them are one or two of them are still now in jail. One or two of them is gone. Do you know what I mean? So yeah, you're, it's drugs, gangs, fighting, um, getting mixed up in their own crowds. As I say, there's not a lot of people who, um, at that time, had something that, that I had the opportunity and, and kept them off the streets. And at the end of the day, that's, that's what my, my dad was, was looking at, getting me off the streets and gave me yeah. something to keep myself fit and occupied, as you say, as well. So it's so it was good. And it's, as much as I say, I didn't have the financial backings of uh, the best upbringing, I had such a good upbringing as I always was doing something to people looking after me. Um, my best wishes at heart. So it's something that I, I would never change. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I mean, it's as you said, it's either that life or you keep your head straight and stuff. But speaking about the the progress through the youth, you you said there at the start you were playing two years above when you first went in. When, when yeah. did you when when did you start to think to yourself, Jesus, this is proper proper like squeaky bum time. If I'm not performing, I'm out. I know you said it when when you were eight, but when you start progressing through the ages, does it get more and more intense? Yeah, yeah, you, at eight, at eight, you don't really. Um, it's only now thinking back that you think, oh Jesus, like, I can remember these wee things or these wee things. Like, at the end of every year, we used to have a meeting with everyone, 
and he used to go through it. I used to have a meeting with the whole team and all different all the academies and stuff used to take yourself to part in this huge room. And it was like you have your different categories, so it'd be like under eights, nines, tens, elevens would be called like the the junior academy, and then it'd be like under twelves, thirteens, fourteens, fifteens would be called like amateur or something, and then from seventeens and nineteens would be like professional really. Not nineteens because they were full time. So we used to have these big meetings and then obviously it would be like, right, your kid needs to do this. It's football's not just about it. football, you have to be eating this, right? You have to consuming this, you can't be doing this, blah, blah, blah. But then you used to go in like team meetings with your managers, sit down, like myself, my dad and my manager, and we used to have like a score sheet and be like passing right foot, left foot, it'd be zero to five, zero being terrible, five being excellent, do you know what I mean? Nobody was ever a zero, yeah. but they used to be they used to be harsh things through then, like you need to be good at this, you need to be good at that. You need to get better at this, you're good at this, but you can still improve or you're not very good at this, you need to improve on it, do you know what I mean? So, and at the end of every year they used to do that, but then there'd be kids coming out, crying their eyes out, and they've just been released. I was fortunate enough that I went into those meetings that always came out with like a good attitude, or I'm not saying I always used to come out with fives, everything, but I'm just saying they used to always say, you're good at this, yes, you can improve, but we're giving you an contract, we want to give you an contract. And it was always consistently giving me an contract, so I was fortunate enough, but it was kids, listen, Obviously, the biggest one at the time was Andy Robertson. He was in my age group. He used to come out and they released him. And in his age group, went in with the manager and says, listen, you're not good enough, you're too small, um, you're not strong enough, you're not fast enough, and you're not good enough on the ball. And now I'm playing in Ireland and he's won the Champions League. You know what I mean? It's someone that I still stay close with. But um, it's just a difference. It's just, as I say, at that point, he wasn't good enough and he just told him straight as a 14-year-old boy, but probably in any other... Any other but but a life, and you'd be like, it's only fourteen. Come on, give him a break. But that's football's ruthless, and that's just the way it is. And as I said, you don't probably think it at the time, but looking back on it, it's um, it's something that's definitely. But as you said, probably the, the main point to get to well, when you really really understand it is when you're really going for that contract when you're like maybe under fourteens, under fifteens, because obviously you you want to leave school at sixteen, seventeen, so. Um, well, you can only leave school at 17, but I, I left at 16 for, well, just before I was 17, I used to go in two or three times a week and be at school the other two days because I was at a school that allowed me to do that. But um, yeah, from maybe under 15s, that's when you have like, right, I'm here, I'm at this big club and um, this is when I, that's when you look at it as in, like, we, I've got a right good chance here. Because at eight years yeah. old, I mean, they're, they're teaching you stuff and it's not about winning and stuff, but then even in the... Uh, under 15s and 16, uh, there's no 16s, obviously 15s and 17s, it's not so much about winning, yes you still want to win, but it's about bringing you on and making you a better player, do you know what I mean, so, but there is massive pressure of winning as I say, but it's probably when you get to under 15s, when under 15s are 14 years of age and that's when you've got to look at it, because I, I can always remember, they used to always sit us down at Barrafield and used to see Celtic Park in the distance and the lights was on and they were like, how many of you are going to play over there, and it used to send you goosebumps, like even just now talking about it, I can remember it, um, and you can still send you goosebumps, but it's it's crazy, but as I said, for a 14-year-old to have that pressure and, and mindset of, Jesus, I need to give everything up in my whole life um, and just try and be this, and that, that's exactly what I've done. Is, is that, see that type of pressure as well, especially when you reach the 14s or 15s, is that something, obviously you mentioned Andy Robertson, and they made a mistake there, everyone can see that, and even going way back to Shay Given and stuff, but see that pressure when you're feeling that, is that something that you thrived in, that sort of environment where you're having to prove yourself every year or every day, really, to stay at a club like Celtic? I think I did, yeah. I think you're totally right. Um, it's one of those ones where you've got, you've got even nowadays, um, even now I'm at Larn, like, 
you've got 20, like I'm 26 now, do you know, 27 now, and you've still got 27, 28, 20, even 30 year old men who, it's e- games where you are no pressure on you, it's easy to perform, but games when there's big pressure on you, it's hard, and you've got that person who, you can be the best player, you can be one of the best players, but if you can't perform under pressure, then, do you know what I mean, that's the difference between the best and probably the greatest, do you know what I mean, and, and as you say, yeah, it probably does set us, I was fortunate enough that, we had, a, we had a age group, my age group was, was blessed with a lot of talent and um, I was fortunate enough that I was one of one of those people in that group who was obviously put in that category but I had good players around me and obviously maybe it would, maybe it would be hard or different if I didn't have as, as talented an age group but we used to thrive on it, we used to go away, from, we used to go to like all these big tournaments abroad and we used to get invited to all the best ones and we used to like compete against your Barcelona's, Real Madrid's, Bayern Munich's and at the time, like Anderlex and stuff, they were also known for being the best um, youth academies. And we used to, we used to go into those games with, with no pressure and um, with pressure, obviously, but not feeling it. And with the attitude of, so we can go and go go totally totally these. And just say it's, it can take you one way or it can take you the other way. But um, that is what it is. Yeah, we done well, especially during the academies. I think we done well to get to the first team. Then when you're at the first team, it's completely different. So. Yeah, I mean, see, see as well. I'm actually glad you brought it up. I actually spoke to the Patrick Manelli about this. I'm, I'm interested as well. See, see the tournaments that you go to on on the raised level. Is that still some sort of like not a trial, but it's like the coaches are watching to see if you can cope with this certain level, the the progression through to the first team. Is that like a, a step that they need to see as well, seeing you compete against foreign clubs? Yeah, massive. Um, because as you say, we used to always. It's mad as you used to say that. Just remember that there, just when you said that about that. We used to always see those big meetings that I was telling you about at the end of the yeah. year. We used to get a big, massive booklet, and it was all Tommy Burns was massive on it. And Tommy Burns is like, it's, he used to always have something at the top, and it was always like, it's easy. And Jock Steen, you know, Jock Steen's was always in it, and it was like, it's easy competing in these leagues. It's, we need, we, we don't play, we don't need, um, what was I thinking? It was something like, we don't need SPL players, we need Champions League players or something. Something like that. Yeah. I can't remember the exact saying, but it was something like that. And as you say, like hard bit as well, is because everyone wanted to go on these these trips. Um, but you don't, you're not allowed to. You're not allowed to take. Um, I think maybe sixteen or eighteen players. Like it wasn't eleven aside at the time. Obviously, when you got older, it was eleven aside. But you're not allowed to take like sixteen, eighteen players. So sometimes you had three, four, five players staying at home. So for me, my home mentality was right. There's four midfielders. There's only maybe two or three. There's two playing, or there's only three. I am not missing out, and that's just the way. It, that's just the way it was, yeah. because there used to be players who trained every day and went to played all the tournaments and the games at home and stuff, but then didn't go to these big tournaments. And so you're right; it's not until you actually um, take a step back and think about it. But um, yeah, it's it's massive. It sets you up in life, even outside football as well, to handle all those pressures. So, see, see as well, John. You mentioned Tommy Burns there, and obviously he's a legend within Celtic and the Celtic fans as yeah. well. Did you have many dealings with him? As a young player, yeah. or was it? What was he like? No, he, was, he was massive for me. Um, I, I was really close. I was actually at his funeral. Um, I was really, really close to him. As I say, like coming from the upbringing that I came from and stuff, in my single parent, he helped me a lot. He helped, he helped me financially. He helped my dad financially. Um, obviously, we ran into full time football. He, again, he helped me financially. Um, he done so much stuff for me. When I signed, um, actually, also when I was eight years of old, eight years of age. As I said before, there was a few clubs and there was a few like a few wee clubs at the time Blackburn Rovers were, were a big club who were always trying to take young Scottish players away from Scotland at the time and Aston Villa. I think they took Barry Bannons from that but as well. He left and he was like nine, ten years of age. Yeah. Go, go down to Aston Villa. 
and there was loads of players. So they were coming up to Scotland trying to poach people, like really, really young, and moved their whole family down. So a few of them were coming about, and Tommy actually came to my house, Tommy Burns and John McStay, Paul McStay's dad. Yeah, yeah. They, they were the two that scouted me, um, and a man called Huey McGovern, who's actually still there, and was really close to so he's one of the kit men. They three scouted me, and the three of them came to my house, and um, for me to sign, it was madness, because where I live is like just a normal street, and um, this big, massive car, two cars pulled up, and I, I, can't, I can remember hearing, I can mem- it came from nowhere, like, I didn't know it was coming, and then the door went, and it was one of those big police knocks, and I was thinking, <laughs> Jesus... And it was just me and my dad. I cannot. I can remember we were having dinner, and uh, I was like, my dad looked at me, and I was like, "Have I done something wrong? Like that sounds like the police. Like something's definitely wrong." My dad went on the door, and the ho- I can always remember because the house was a, the house was messy, and um, he opened the door, and it was Tommy Burns, John McStay, and Hugh McGovern. And as I say, I kind of Hugh McGovern had been to loads of the matches. Obviously, I knew, so he'd been in contact with my dad, so he'd been saying to my dad like. We're Celtic, I represent Celtic, um, we're really interested in your boy, I'm going to keep coming and watching you. So he came for a long, a long time, so he was um, in contact with my dad, So, but it was a surprise, and then when he opened the door, my dad obviously seen Huey, and then came in, and my dad, my dad says, give me two minutes, closed the door, <laughs> left him at the front door, and like quickly tidied up the living room, and then uh, <laughs> brought them in. So it was myself, my dad, I can just, I can remember, even just now, uh, I used to always talk about it with Tommy as well, because... In Celtic Park, we used to have this, like, have you ever been, like, seen the gym, you get those stair walks and you can walk up the stairs and it's an exercise. Tommy used to yes. always just sit on them. He used to always just sit on that and exercise and, and whistle his song and stuff that he used to always sing. And uh, I always just remember, we used to always talk about it still when I was in the gym. Like, he just sat there and, like, Huey was talking or John McStay was talking and Tommy wasn't saying anything. I was just sitting there with my mouth open, just looking at Tommy, thinking, wow, he's in my house. Like, crazy. <laughs> So that was the first year and I had to him. So he came to my house and he was like, you're not going anywhere. He, just, he didn't even ask me. He's just like, we know blah, 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 whatever clubs. He's like, you're not going anywhere, you're coming to Celtic. And I was like, perfect, shook his hand. And from then on, I remember going to school and all being like, oh my God, Tommy Burns is my house. <laughs> and when it seemed to walk out the house, seemed to walk out the house, like obviously he came in these big, nice big cars. So neighbours and all out the window going, what the hell's that, who's that? And these big cars. And they obviously seen him and then obviously knew he was in my house. He walked out the house, there was like maybe 30 people standing outside. It was crazy. Um, it was madness. That's but, uh, that, that the first deal I had to him. But then just be- before, maybe I was like, f- I think I was 15 or 14. I, think, no, I was 14 or 15. In fact, I was 15 definitely. Yeah, and I got called up to play with the, the year above myself, Scotland age. I'd done really well. I remember on the Victory Shield and all. Yeah, so, yeah. So I played in that with a year above myself. And I played. To, I played. I didn't play the first game for them. And I played the next two, and uh, we obviously we didn't win the tournament or whatever, but I done really well. And there was a few big English teams coming, Newcastle and, and whatever. They were coming, and again, they came to my house, and I was actually thinking about it with Newcastle. I said, like, it's going to be hard to be involved. Like, at this time, I was getting a wee bit more mature, and I was known, and I was speaking to some of the older players, and the older players, were, uh, there were some good players in the older team, and they weren't getting offered contracts. And I was just looking at them going, they're not getting contract. How hard is it going to be? And I was looking at players a couple of years above myself going, oh, am I good enough to compete with him? Do you know what I mean? So I was always constantly yeah. looking above myself saying, right, I need to catch him. How am I going to get better to catch him? I can catch him, right, I'll get the next one. I was always like that at a young age. So I was starting to, doubt, not doubt myself, but I was starting to think, like, do I need to take a step away to come back? Because my whole main thing growing up was to make my debut for Celtic. Like, they're giving you my left arm, or do you know what I mean, to go, to go make my debut. So... Um, that was my whole thing. So 
I was really close to joining Newcastle, went down and stuff with my family, and then again he came to my house saying um, someone from Newcastle's phoned me, um, saying you were down at the academy. He's like, were you? And I was just <laughs> like, yeah. And he's like, um, obviously you can't you can't sign a professional contract, but I can guarantee you, even if you have the worst two years of your your football career for the next two years, like I'm giving you a professional contract. And see when he said that and stuff, it just and then he obviously helped my dad. Uh, with certain things at the time yeah. and then from then on I was like nah like I was just that, I was just tunnel vision about like at that age I felt as if I kind of owed him something even though I didn't but it was just that was that whole mentality and that's the type of person he was he would go out his way and like people probably think oh it's Tommy Bonds or whatever but it was just like that the whole time like, yeah he'd be staying in the cell park till 7 o'clock at night and go be driving home and be like outside the street and someone would have a problem, he'd turn around and come back. Do you know what I mean? It's just the way it was. He was, he was unbelievable and unbelievable person. But yeah, I had loads of dealings with him. Um, even yeah. when I signed my first professional contract, I walked outside and he was there and he gave me a hug and he was like, told you so. Um, so there was, <laughs> yeah, there was so much, so much times I was working, spent a lot of time with him personally alone and um, in at football and outside football. So it was massive. It's just a testament as well, isn't it, John, the, the character of Tommy Burns. He, he lived and breathed Celtic Football Club. And see as well, see what's kind of funny. It's the main tricks he plays with you. Like that comment he said to you being like, the two years of, if you play the worst two years of yeah. football, you're still going to get the contract. You're thinking yeah. yourself. It's massive. It's, it's, it's crazy. As I say, it's, he's one of those people as well that he's just, he's just straight up. He comes from the same situation as where I come from. See, in terms of the, the pro contract, obviously Tommy Burns helped you a lot along your journey. What, yeah. what, what, was, that, what was that fight like and how, how did you keep yourself motivated and not kind of fall to the pressure side of things when you're competing for a pro contract? Uh, see, I don't want it to sound as if I'm up myself right now a wee bit, but at the time I was, I was doing well and see when you're doing well, you know when you're doing well at Celtic because like, they make a hype. They make a hype about you and I, I had that hype about me. Do you know what I mean? Even at a young age, it's just... Um, it's just the way it is. I'm sure if you spoke to Paddy, Paddy would have told you the same thing. But um, it was like I was playing well for my age group. I was playing for the older age group. I was playing well. I was starting for the older age group, and then I was going away for Scotland with my age group and the year above. So without sounding too up myself, I kind of expected it. Do you know what I mean? Um, yeah. I, I expect I expect it not because people were telling me, um, "Oh, John, you're going to do this," or "John, you're going to do that." I I was expecting it because. We, as I say, if you do something well, you know you're doing it well. If you do something wrong, I'm the type of person also, I know I'm doing something wrong, do you know what I mean? I know when I need to get better at something, and I know when I've performed at a good level. So um, yeah. I kind of knew I was doing well, so it was just about keeping that consistency, because I can always remember, like, I can always remember speaking to older players or speaking to ex-players, and I used to be one of those people, if I was around someone, I used to ask, I was, I was very quiet, but I used to like I used to read people and I used to always ask them and try and get squeeze so much out of them and ask what I needed to do or especially when I was with coaches um on the one v one or something. I, I used to always ask at that time when I was a young boy. Like, as I said, my whole thing was I wanted to play for Celtic, it was my dream. So I was given a great opportunity and people were telling me I had a great opportunity. So it was like, right, if I play for Celtic, I'll be able to help my dad. Do you know what I mean? I was like, I was looking at everyone when I was 14, 15 years of age. I was thinking how can I help my dad? How can I help my grand? Blah, blah, blah. I've got two sisters. How can I help all this? So at a young age, I had that whole mindset and tunnel vision of like, if I do well here, it's not just helping me, it's helping everyone else. Because as I said, I knew my dad was working two or three jobs just to make sure we got by and just to make sure that I could get to training. Do you know what I mean? And there's so much more people that, that 
even when I made my debut, that was the biggest thing. Like even when I was got my first thought going on the pitch when I was making my debut was like, my dad's done all this for a reason. Do you know what I mean? Like that was my whole thing. It wasn't just about myself. I've never, I've never been someone who's just about myself. So it was all about everyone else, and it was just like a relief off my shoulders. As in, they're going to think now they've done it all for the for a reason rather than if I I'd never wanted to disappoint anyone do you know what I mean and that's if I didn't do that yeah. something that I felt as if I disappointed people as in they put so much out there to make sure that I got there because listen there was times when there was times when I was close make my debut when I was younger um, there was times when even throughout that year when I was making my debut like there was times when I get told I was making my debut and I'd get injured or, or something would go wrong or do you know what I mean and I was I always can remember always thinking this is never going to happen. And then the players I had around me at the time when I made my debut, I was just thinking, I'm never going to play ahead of these guys, do you know what I mean? So it was it was kind of that. And I knew, um, Tommy Burns used to always, I don't want to go back to him, but he used to always say to me, every day, most days I used to speak to him because he used to always beat the training ground. He's like, John, the thing for you is going to be, is, it's going to be easy for you to get to the first team, but it's going to be hard to stay there because of the position you're playing. And I always yeah. remember that, even to this day, I always still use that whole thing. It's going to be easy to get there or easy to get to where you want to be, but it's so hard to stay there. And that's with if you want to go and win a cup, if you want to go and win a league. Like for us this year at Larn, do you know what I mean? We, it was not easy for us, but we got there and the hard bit staying there. And that's where I believe where you get your better players, as in going back to the playing under pressure. If you're top of the league, you're under pressure to go away from home to a one point, away from home to Edinburgh and having to win. Do you know what I mean? It's easy to play it. Yeah. Linfield at home, Linfield away from home, because it's big clubs, it's easy to play that. Yes, there's pressure yeah. on you, but there's more pressure on you against the smaller teams. Do you know what I mean? Um, so it's that whole mindset of, like, I'm going to get there. I, I, I believed in myself. I said I was very quiet and a shy person. I'm still now not a loud person. Do you know what I mean? I'm, I'm still very much within myself. And it's something that I believe hampered me when I went to the first team because I wasn't really an overconfident person. Do you know what I mean? So, um, But yeah. the whole professional contract thing, I, I kind of, I without sounding... As I say, up myself, I, I, I kind of knew it was coming. Do you know what I mean? So I was, I was performing well, and as I say, that when you're performing well at um, your club and then your international level, I expected that a wee bit. So it's, it's. I wouldn't say it's. Uh, you sound up yourself. I think it's more of the confidence and mentality side of things that we touched upon. So the the pressure, obviously, you're thriving under that, and you're looking who's in your position, and you're always yeah. wanting to be better or match them at least. See, when you, you got that pro contract, is that when things really started to take off? Like the 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 progress to the first team training. How, how long was that when you got your pro contract? Was that like a couple of years down the line still, or was it pretty instantaneous, uh, pretty quick? Um, no, it was really quick because when I signed my pro contract, Tony Mowbray was the manager, um, and Neil Lennon. But this is when I left school, so I'd signed my. I actually signed a pro contract when I was at school, but I wasn't allowed to receive any money, like wages, and I wasn't allowed yeah. to leave school until you got to a certain point. But that's what I was saying to you earlier. I used to leave school three times a week. Two, twice. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Yeah, three times a week. No, I used to go to school three times a week and leave and go into training at Celtic two days a week. I used to go into Celtic every Tuesday and Thursday. I went to school Monday, Wednesday, Friday um, for like six months because my school teacher was like, they knew I had an, as I said, that there was that high, at the time there was a lot of, I was playing at a national level. Um, I'd actually been put out of school to go and play pre-season friendlies with the first team. Um, so there was that kind of hype going around, do you know what I mean? So my school were excellent. My guidance teacher and stuff used to allow me to leave um, twice a week. I only used to go to school three times a week. So for me, as I say, a young boy, it was living the dream, it, um, still being at school and, and doing what I had to do. But um, 
Yeah, and then I obviously left school when I could leave. And then I went in there, and as I say, Tony Mowbray was the first team manager. And I wasn't about the first team at the time. Lennox Town was made here, and we were still yeah. at Barryfield. So you go to Barryfield first, all the boys that leave school, and then they kind of, not assess you because they know what they're like, but they kind of have an eye on you. Can it house you handling first team um, full-time football? Because it's tough, rather than training at night times. Or you're training in the morning, you're in, you're getting your breakfast, you're training in the morning, you go to the gym in the afternoon, Monday, Tuesday, you're off Wednesday, you do it Thursday, you do it Friday again, and you play Saturday. Do you know what I mean? So you're doing it every day. It's proper, proper um, heavy. So they give you a wee bit to think. So I was there for maybe, I want to say a month, and then um, I was doing well again. I started, I was only left when I was 17, I started playing for under 20s and um, within a month. Um, I, I was doing really well at the time. Um, and then I think maybe I played maybe two or three games. Um, I think I maybe played three or four games for under 20s. And at the time, Neil Lennon was the reserve manager, as I say, and he came down and I can always remember played Dundee at Barrafield, the bottom bottom pitch it was, and I had a start. Everything I'd done was just was just see, you just get one of those games where you, everything you touch is just right. You take a good t- like anything, everything ricochets, everything just goes for you. And I played really well, and I'm always remember um, it was like 60, 60 minutes in or something, and then I always remember hearing a whistle, and then two minutes later the board went up for a substitution, and the man manager went, "John, you're coming off." And I was like, I wasn't raging because I was only a young boy, but. I was walking yeah. off thinking, what have I done? I've had a good game here, what's going on? And then he's not said anything to me, and I went to sit down on the, the bench, and he's just went, John came here, and he's went over, and he said, eh, reserve manager Neil Lennon's told me to take you off, you're going away tomorrow with the reserves. We were going away um, to play Blackburn, down in Blackburn for reserves, and I went down, and I think I played 10 minutes. And then, listen, I don't, 10 minutes, you can't really do anything, or whatever, you can't do anything right, because you can't do anything wrong, which was good for me. <laughs> so um, <laughs> I was like, I was like, no problem. And then, we were off. He gave us a weekend off, and then I got a phone call on Sunday night saying, "Listen, you've you've to go to Lennoxton and train with the reserves." And then from then on, I was I was with the reserves every day, more or less. See, see as well, touching upon the training. So, see before we go to the the Neil Lennon side of things. So, you you got your pro contract, and obviously you're up the under twenties and you're training with them. What yeah. what was the step up from what you were used to there? Was it just crazy the the way they were playing, or was it just kind of you took it took it in your stride? Not so much because, like, the whole thing with Celtic was like, really, on the first team. Celtic done a good thing as in, like, if you were on the first team or if you're reserves or under 20s, I even think they might have done it under 17s as well. If the first team played a 4 2 3 1, you all played a 4 2 3 1. If they play a certain philosophy of football, you all play it because they want to make sure that if it makes that step easier. Do you know what I mean? So, even the training, the passing drills were the same, possession drills were the, the same, you, all the mini games were the same, everything was the same. So all the drills were the same. It was just all about, it was the physicality. I was just a wee small skinny boy. So that was the biggest thing for me, the physical side. Um, but I was, I'm a naturally fit person, so I could always run all day, do you know what I mean? And I've always been a technically good player, so that's been probably one of my, my gifts, my, one of my, my, my better attributes. I'm technically good, do you know what I mean? So that yeah. and my fitness was always, was always good. So um, we used to... There was, as I said, there was a wee group of us. There was maybe five or four or five years that that were like heavily tipped to go and go and do do well. So um, all four, I think there was maybe two or threes at the time. It just went straight into under twenties team and done really well. And I've been playing with them since I was ten years of age. You know what I mean? So it kind of makes it easier, makes that transition easier. And as I said, everything was the same. It was just that whole physical side and then learning how to use your body because you're not as strong as them or all that. All the wee. All the wee things you learn when you're playing with older players, you know what I mean? All, all the older players, even though they were only 19, 20 at the time, they helped me. 
and um, I learned a lot from then and, and even now to this day I try and still pass a lot on what I learned because it does help you a lot but the transition was, was is easy because the boys were really good do you know what I mean um, yeah to, to be honest with you they weren't much better than our, our age group if I'm being totally honest our age groups I say we want everything at our age group and then when we went in our under 20s I said there was there was a there was a core of maybe four or five A's that went and got straight professional contracts straight away Snipped usually usually one or two or whatever. Like the year above ourselves was the only ones that went in full time was Callum McGregor. He's the only one that went in full time, and then obviously Dylan McGee went to Rangers and he went in full time. So there's not usually a, that big, huge amount of numbers. Do you yeah. know what I mean? We'd we five, maybe even six, five, six players who went straight in full time from our age group. So we had a good core, and we were blessed with a lot of talent at our age. And I think three or four of went straight into the under twenties. The, the team. So it was it was e- it was easy enough at the time to say because we we were good players. So yeah, so speaking about the players who who you were coming through, if you mentioned like um Carl Magner, he's the one who stands out, you know, because yeah. he's played so many games or Celtic now. But who who else were you coming through with at the time in your age group before you reached the other twenties? Well, at the time, obviously we were as I say we were doing really well at club and international, and I always remember remember they had those things at Man United. It was like Busby Babes or whatever it was. Or yeah. Yeah, it was they. They kind of made one of those stupid things up about us. There were, I think there was six years. There was myself, the boy Joe Chalmers, um, Marcus Fraser, and I don't know if you remember the boy Islam Farouz. Yeah, Islam. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he was incredible. And there was him. There was boy Paul George from Northern Ireland as well. He was unbelievable. Um, Paul George, and I think I think that might be. I might have been. Maybe I'm missing someone out, but I think they, predominantly there was us five, who were. Like, I was a centre mid, Joe Chalmers was a centre back left back, Marcus was a centre back right back, Paul George winger, Islam striker. Do you know what I mean? So we, we were like the core of the team. We had a goalkeeper as well at the time, James Whiteman, who ended up getting released a year later because he was very small. But it was us six who were like doing really well and stuff, do you know what I mean? So um there was a chorus like all the way through the middle and we kinda there was a there was a real glue there and a real we were all friends, you know what I mean? We were all really close mates. Um we're all more or less from Glasgow, obviously apart from Paul George, he was from Northern Ireland, um, but he used to come over. <laughs> he, he used to come over all the time. Like, um, there's one, there's a story for you. In fact, we used to, we used to play games as a as a youth team, and you can only, I think, as a trialist, you can only play like four or five games in like a certain time. Like Big Paddy McNally came over on like a trial, a few times you can only yeah. play like four or five trial games a year. But Paul George came over and it was unbelievable, honestly, so good, and uh, it came over like five times in the space of like three months. And we had a big game against Rangers coming up, and we were thinking, we were all like, here, we need to get a winner over that, a wee Irish guy. Bring it. That's what we used to call him at the time, the wee Irish guy. But was that wee Irish guy? <laughs> it was brilliant. And they ended, they, ended up, they ended up, see, that whole year, I think he played like like 20 games for us. He was coming over, and they were changing his name to like something else, just putting him through somebody else. <laughs> he was playing for us. It was brilliant, but Paul George was brilliant, so he was, he was unbelievable. Um, so that, that was the I core. Think... Callum McGregor was a year older, as I say. Um, he, he's a winger. He was a winger. He wasn't a centre midfielder. He was a winger. Um, even under Ronnie Dyer, he was a winger. But it was never, for me, I thought he was excellent. I thought he was really good as a young boy. But even under Neil Lennon's stuff in the first team, he was never really Neil Lennon's cup of tea. Like you sent him out alone and try and grid him at the time. It was Ronnie Dyer that really gave him his mm. gave him his shot. And then obviously he grabbed it with two hands and, and did stone that went and go. So fair play to him. He's a, he's a good guy as well. What, what was, so like, you reached the, the under 20 set of things. What was Neil Lennon like for you when you were in the under twenties? Was was he a motivator for you, or did he talk to you as well as a, as a young player? Well, it was kind. It was kind of good because I grew up obviously with your 
your team that got to Seville, do you know what I mean? That was my Celtic team, like Neil Lennon, Paul Lambert, Lou Maracic, um, Henrik Larsson, Chris Sutton, do you know what I mean? Like those type of yeah, players. So, so, I looked, so I looked up to him, so I loved him. So when I went what, to what? the reserves, he was, when I went Wait. to the reserves, it was unbelievable because, as I was going to say, it was more like a, when he was reserves, it was, it's kind of as if it's two different coaches. When he was at the reserves, it's as if like there's no pressure on him, do you know what I mean? So he was, he was kind of motivated, put his arm around you. He'd say, listen, because he knew I, he knew I loved him, right? Because I used to ask him, like, see, remember I said we used to go on the buses to like away games. I used to, used to, he used to come up with the boys and all and sit. I used to ask him all sorts of questions. <laughs> so he knew, he knew. He obviously, maybe thought I was a wee weirdo or something. But I used to ask him everything because he was same position as me. Obviously, different type of player, but same position. So I used to ask him all sorts. So he kind of after training stuff would, if I'd done something wrong, he'd be like, "Yeah, you need to do it this way." Or, and as I said, I was very slight at the time. I was tall but very thin. And he was like, oh, you need use your body, do this when you receive a ball, do this, do you know what I mean? Take it on your left foot. He, he helped me a lot with my both feet as well. I worked a lot on my both feet. I, something I always wanted to do, what be able to hit the ball with my left and my right. So he helped me a lot with that. He helped me a lot with my running, as in when to attack the box, when not to attack the box. So he was really good with me. Um, but then obviously when I went into first team, there's a different kettle of fish. He's, he's um, a lot more under pressure. But when he was a reserve manager, he helped me a lot, as in helped me through the game, what I had to get better at put his arm around me even when, when, if, I, if he had a bad game or something. But as I say, he wasn't, Tony Mowbray was a manager, but he was only, when I was at, well, up to reserves, he was only there for, I was only in reserves for four or five months. And then he got, obviously Tony Mowbray got sacked and he went up into the first team straight away. So, and he hated Tony Mowbray. Him and Tony Mowbray hated each other. They didn't get on. So, um, um, what were so that obvious? Just everyone. He wasn't allowed, he was, at the start, obviously, him and Danny McGrain were the reserve managers. Um, and our legend, Danny McGrain. But um, mm-hmm. the most horrible toes you'll ever see, mind you, but a legend. But um, him and Danny McGrain were the reserve managers, and they used to always, at the start, go away. Obviously, it was um, Mowbray and the boy Mark Venus and, and Granny. Um, so they used to always go. But then something happened between them, and Mowbray said to Lennon that he, he wasn't allowed to go around near the first team anymore. So he wasn't allowed to. And he actually used to travel on the bus or something with him, but then I always remember that saying that he wasn't allowed near them anymore so he hated them like he wasn't even allowed to eat lunch at the same time so they hated them so um but then when he got sacked he went straight into the first team and at the end of the day he, he was liking me a lot at reserves and that's more or less why is, i got taken straight up to the first is, team so is that when you made the job the first time when lanny got the job on a full-time basis is that when you were kind of training with the first team yeah. regularly then when, yeah when he first went up obviously i didn't because i was still um still at reserves and then that's when he first went up to the, the first team it was kind of like there was no reserve manager so he went up with the first team and we used to have loads of like Finnish Finnish people like from Finland and Iceland and stuff and then obviously just yeah. Simon Ferries your Martin Millers and all those type of players and um, in the reserves um, and Paul McGowns and stuff they used to kind of just train with the first team and then see all the young boys like myself and stuff we kind of drifted between that and under 20s there was only maybe two or three of us, me, Paul George, Marcus Fraser or Joe Chalmers. We kind of drifted between that and then going back down to Barrafield, you know what I mean, for like maybe six, eight months till the end of the season. And then, so I, I didn't really, not that I didn't like it, but at the same time I was, I was loving, like, playing with better players. Because sometimes I was I was out of out water, do you know what I mean? Like sometimes I, was, I wasn't good enough in training and stuff. And, and I liked that because it, it knew, then I knew that I had something to aim at, do you know what I mean? I'm not saying it was too easy yeah. down at under... 20s or something but I was one of the better players down there do you know what I mean and I just I constantly wanted to be like tested and at that time I loved being up there and 
and that and uh, a lot of the players helped me as I say like Paul McGowan and stuff used to cry like a baby all the way through training shout at you <laughs> just if you didn't pass him the ball but um, it helped me so much do you know what I mean and you go back down there and it's as I said I started to work on myself a wee bit more and I was going down there and I was feeling stronger and do you know what I mean? So I was kind of getting to the fact that it wasn't really testing me as much. Um, I'll be yeah. honest, I still play with my age group at the matches at the weekend, but that's when I felt as if it was testing me more, do you know what I mean? But then when he got, I think, as I say, I think it was the end of the year when he got the, he was already in for seven or eight months, I think he took over for a while, didn't he? And then he got the job and then that's when he brought in, obviously, the reserve. He made the, our manager down at under-20s with Stevie Freer and Tommy McIntyre. And then he moved Stevie Field to be the reserve manager and John Kennedy came in to be the reserve manager with him. Um, so and then he made a reserves in the first team and then that's when yeah, he moved most of the better players, as you'd like to say, up to to the first team slash reserves. Um, and then I was you were there for six months just flopping in between them and then that's when he more or less moved you over six months later to, to more or less train the first team every day. So See when he um got the job full time, were you involved yeah. with his first pre season? Did you get called up to that, or was that still too early? No, I was. Um, I done all the preseason in Scotland with him, yeah, and then um, what has it happened? I had at this time I went to the we had the Euros with Scotland, so I didn't do the preseason with the first team. I was away in the Euros, I believe. I'm sure. I'm sure we had a we had a tournament with Scotland because I when I came back and yeah it was because when I came back I flew when we came home from Scotland to the Euros. Because when you qualify for if you if you qualify for the Euros, you do the European Championships, and then if you qualify, which is hard, you go into the next stage. And we qualified because mm-hmm. we had a good age group, and we went into the next stage, and it's over the summer. Um, so we went and done that, and then when I came back, they were already in. I believe it was Austria. Oh no, no! When I came back, they'd been to America. That's what it was. I missed the America. They, when I came back, and then that's when I came back. They came back from America a couple of days later, and obviously they got they got rid of a lot of players like. It sounds bad, but they got rid of a lot of the players for the reserves, and it was like your Simon Ferries, your Paul McGowan's and stuff, and they were all sending midfielders, so I was thinking, Jesus, I'm in my chance here, even if I can just go and train with them every day, do you know what I mean? So that's when that happened, and I had a really good tournament in the Euros as well, so um, that's what kind of helped me as well. I, I didn't go that pre-season tour, no, but I, I went a few other ones the next the next year in January. We used to always get one in January as well, see, because of the Champions League. The SPL used to have like, cancel one fixture. So we used to always cancel it just after New Year and it meant the way the games worked out and the, the holidays and stuff, we had like maybe just over two weeks and it used to take us away all the time. So yeah, I got a few of those trips. So it was good. It was a good laugh as well. So you, You're thinking to yourself, all these chats with Neil Lennon's paid off. <laughs> getting into, Jesus, getting into the first team trailer. Still, <laughs> as, soon as, he, as, soon as, as soon as he got the first team manager's job, I always remember saying, my dad, dad, I've got a chance here. And uh, what was actually my dad said to me? My dad said, John, you've got a chance here. And I was always, I was always thinking to myself, Maybe I do, do you know what I mean? But there was so many players. As I said, there's at the time there was there's Mark Crossas and stuff, do you know what I mean? And Key Sung Young and stuff. And it was it was just incredible. And then obviously a lot of them went as well. Um and then when they all went, it was like he's not a job on Yamas and that, mind you, but um there wasn't as many actual individuals. So it was yeah, it was more involved, do you know what I mean? So it was better, yeah. But there's no there's, 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 no, there's, no, there's no qualms, it was definitely him that whether he took in a liking to me or he felt sorry for me that how bad I was or something that he, he definitely was due to him that I was involved in the first team do you know what I mean so it's I've got a lot to thank him for even just now it's someone that 
I hold in great regard and still speak to if I ever need anything. He's, he's the first one of the first people I'd send a message to. So. In terms, say as well, the, the first time training when you were going up, obviously you're first going up there and you're probably a bit like, wow, this is unbelievable player and stuff. Do you remember a time that any first team player proper roasted you on the training ground for making a mistake or anything? Um, I can't really... I can't remember being properly roasted. I can't remember being properly roasted, no, but there was a few big moaners, like... And listen, as I say, like, I don't know if it's just because I was really young and I can mind you, I can remember Neil Lennon properly starting the training session, yeah, and shouting at me. In fact, I can remember that. I was only like maybe what, what before, it was before I made my debut. We used to play this big possession game that was in like one whole half. And he used to put these poles out. Have you seen the poles that they dig into the ground? Yes. So he used to make, he used to yeah. like put two poles and obviously made a goal, right? So he used to put he used to put five of them out so it would like take the half of the pitch, thinky half of the pitch, right, and then see the four corners. He used to put two of those yeah. poles in each corner, but still within, not like, still within so he could pass it through and get to the other side, and then two in the middle. So it was like this big five-pole game. We used to play five-goal game in one half, it's possession. So it was like three teams of like, say, maybe eight, or three teams in nine or something. And I can remember that, um, so that's what it was. So I think, so two teams keep the ball, one team chase, and you try and get as many passes or whatever it is, or goals, I can't remember the exact thing. But I can always remember, like, we the game, the method of the game was is keep the ball short, and then get out when they all come in, switch it, and then obviously you get your yeah. pass again, and they all have to chase. You know what I mean? Create space. And I can always remember, um, I got the ball once or twice. I, I remember you, I was building more and more confidence. I got the ball, and it came to me, and it came back, and I pinged it. My right foot caught it, went over, and somebody got it. And I was like, perfect. So you run after the ball, like give me the ball, give me the ball again. I want to do it again. So I've done it again. So you get more and more confidence. And I, I go back to that. I always used to work on both feet. And it came back to me, and it was on my right foot to hit it. And I thought, stuff this. Like, I've just hit two nice passes. I'm going to chop and hit it with my left. So I've chopped it, and I've tried to do it with my left, and it just went flying out the pitch. And he's just, <laughs> he's just blew his whistle. So there was him, Johan Mialbe, Alan Thompson was there at the time. It's still, and um, Gary Parker was his, was his wee fat assistant coach guy. <laughs> so... It, I remember chopping it and I'm thinking, oh, perfect, got away from the boy. So I'm just going to ping this my left foot. I did not ping it. It was like one of those ones that you're like, kicks off the floor and like ricochets. He didn't even allow it to go on. He just stood there. He always used to stand there with his hood up. Just stood there with his hood up. Just blew his whistle. And then everybody was like, oh, no. He just walked on the pitch and he's just like, you, pointed his finger. What the fuck do you think you're doing? Just put it to your right foot. Play with your right foot. It was on. Play with your right foot. And see for the next five minutes, I hid behind every player. I did not want that ball. See, see what I'm saying? After I had one or two passes, I was running about going, give me that ball. I was hiding. I was hiding. And he came to me after He put his arm around me. He came after me and he put his arm around me. I always remember, he obviously used to wear this big puffy jacket and put his hood up. Put his arm around me and just went, ah, you shit yourself there, wee man, didn't you? <laughs> I was trying to drink my water and it was just coming out both sides of my mouth and all. I was like, no, my God. But no, he had that, he had that in him. Like, he, honestly, um, I seen him, see with Effie Ambrose, oh my God, how Effie Ambrose continued to, like, Effie Ambrose, by the way, was unbelievable. So good. But Neil Lennon used to hammer him, like, positionally, or like, Effie Ambrose used to just get the ball and do stuff and he'd find it so easy. Effie and he'd be like, yeah. This man, I'm going to beat the whole team and score. So he'd go a dribble, he'd go a dribble from centre half and just run by and gut to striker and then try and like chip it or cry somebody. And he'd just blow that whistle again. 
hood up, walking on the pitch, just with his hand out. Yeah. Honestly, <laughs> so scary. Especially when Victor Wanyama came in as well. Let's see Victor Wanyama when he first signed. I think Victor's only, in fact, just think, I think Victor's only a year older than me, in fact. He used to come in and he was built like a shit brick house, right? And he was massive. And he was only like 19 or 18. And I'm thinking, look at the size of this guy. And he came in and he was obviously holding midfielder. And he's like, right, this is Victor, blah, blah, blah. And see his first couple of days. And you're like, this guy's a machine beast. But he used to get the ball and he could not pass the ball at the start. And Neil Lennon one day, <laughs> gave a, he gave a ball and you could see Neil Lennon. Neil Lennon what, used always, you've probably seen, he's always got this snus in his mouth. So yeah, yeah. give the ball away so you know Lennon clear his mouth out with snus, throw it on the floor. So he wouldn't see it in first two, three times later, blows that whistle again. <laughs> you up in his face. Remember, this guy's only here the first week. You give the ball away one more time, you're going down there to the reserves. In fact, they probably can't even understand English at this point. He's like, yes, <laughs> you know, do you know what I mean? Ball comes to him the next time, he opens out, tries to hit this massive diag, massive diag. Gives it away, just blows the whistle, doesn't even come on the pitch. See you later. Just shoves him. <laughs> he doesn't go inside. Unbelievable, honestly. Oh. Unbelievable. He had that in him, that's what I'm saying. Neil Lennon had that in him. He was. He, but see, that, I obviously don't know what happened with Victor after but that day. He was training his uh, first team the next day, mind you. But he would go through you, or he would go mad, but then he would switch. He would just come over and cuddle you. Oh, come on into my office, blah, blah, blah. Like, he had that. He's one of those people you feared them. Like, see if you're walking up a corridor and he's at one end and you've just walked through the first door, you kid on, you forgot something and walked back, you walked past him. He's so scary. Uh, but, like, yeah. you, you had so much respect for him, do you know what I mean? That's yeah, why so many that's And that wasn't just me that done that, by the way. It's like, it like Scott Brown, who played him and all. Like, they used to they used to fear him. Charlie McGrew has played, like, fucking X amount of first-team games at first-team level and Scotland international caps and, do you know what I mean? Like, they used to all be the same, madness. But um, he, he, had, I, he, had that in, he had that in him. Like I've seen him flip loads of times, loads of times. I've, what's so, the worst? What's the worst one you've seen? We were playing. Um, I'm trying. I'm trying to think. I want to say Kilmarnock at Celtic Park, but I don't know if it was. I was on the I was on the bench. Um, I was on the bench. I've came in and no, it was end of the match. That's what it was. I think we just got beat off Kilmarnock at Celtic Park. And I don't know, you obviously wouldn't know, but see, at the end of, end of every match, there used to be like a big table put in the, the home team changing room to have like burgers and beers and hot dogs. Yeah. And like, just food for everyone after the match to just sit and eat or like on the shores and eat or baths or whatever. So all that food was there. And uh, this is the first time it had happened. And then we'd just been beat. Everyone's raging. Neil Hennings come in first, hat off, snus out his mouth, thrown in the floor. Screaming in his wee room, you're going to the first team. You've been in the home team dressing room, yeah? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You go in there and see there's a wee office in the back. It's like the manager's yeah. office. So you go in there and there's a kit room and that. He's in there screaming. The doors are closed, so that's never boys are sitting in the change room waiting on them coming out. He's in there screaming. We're all thinking, holy fuck, we're getting it here. Then you hear the door open. You're like, shit, sitting up straight. He just walks, opens the first, opens the door that's in between the home dressing room and the kit room, opens it, and the food's sitting there. And he just runs, lifts it up, and just launches it. I think the, <laughs> one of the hot dogs hit James Forrest in the face. He's sitting screaming at somebody, and James has got this ketchup and hot dog just running <laughs> down his face. I, I, used to sit, I used to sit straight up, 
used to go from that door straight up on the left hand side. Gary Hooper sat outside me, me, and then it was um, who was our one? I can't, maybe Paddy McClure or something. I can't remember. And I remember just sitting there thinking, <laughs> Gary Hooper, and I was going, <laughs> and I think, oh my god, he'll burst out laughing. He'll kill me, like actually kill me. I'm just sitting there looking at the floor, thinking, do not look at him, do not look at him. I look up when he's finished talking, he goes mad, and that's when I see hot dogs hanging off James Flores' face, ketchup. <laughs> I was thinking, this guy is mad. <laughs> Oh my god, see from then on, see from then on, I used to live my life on that bench, right, but, or like, even if, see if you were up in the stand as well, you used to have to come down, you used to, oh, I want everyone down, so like, a couple minutes before kick-off, you used to have to watch the last bit in the tunnel and then go into the change room, so I was, I was always in there, because I was either on the bench or in the stand, so, um, see, every game, see every game we lost, see John Clark was the kit man, every game we lost, John Clark, you see John Clark, a minute to go, sprinting, boys, come on, come on, sprinting, moving all the food, removing the table and all. Because <laughs> he's so mad. Crazy, 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 Jamesy is his wee boy, so he would have probably went over and like wiped off his face and all being like, oh, James, I'm sorry, but that was his boy. That was his boy. Oh, my God. See, see before we move on to your first team debut, just talking about people within the squad, what type of characters are in that squad? Was there any pranksters? I know Mulgrew has a reputation. Do you have oh, any stories about massive. them? We had massive. Scott Brown's a wasp. People, people don't get yeah. Scott Brown. Scott Brown runs, like, listen, when I was there... Scott Brown run the whole club, like everything. But I say it run, not in a bad way, like the best way possible. The manager was the mm-hmm. manager. Scott Brown run the changing room. Anything that goes on, finds everything. What happens off the pitch ha- happens on. He runs everything. He keeps everyone in order. New players coming in. He lets them know what the hell it's about. Blah blah. He runs the whole club. He's one of the nicest people around me. An absolute maniac on the pitch and see that whole focus thing. You see in the tunnel, but see, yeah. see before he steps foot out that changing room, he's pranking. He's, he's teabagging people. He's doing something in the home changing room before he goes to the match. He's just a prankster, completely prankster the whole time. But him and Charlie, him and Charlie together were unbelievable. Paddy McCourt as well. Paddy was a silent assassin. Charlie Charlie McGrew and Paddy McCourt are really close, obviously. And uh, they took yeah. used to got all sorts. But when I was there, there was massive characters. Like we had, uh, Joe, I got really close with Joe Ledley. So I did and Adam Matthews and those two were, those two were massive characters. Fraser Foster. He was an all massive one. We 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 massive. It was trying to think. Everyone, I think the, predominantly the whole team. We had Fraser Foster, Adam Matthews, Mika Lustig as well. Huge character, massive prankster. Um, as I say, there was probably everyone was up to something. I remember one day at Lennoxton, obviously up in the top of the hills or whatever. I can't remember whose car it was, but um, somebody just got a new car. I want to say Scott Brown and I think Charlie or somebody was injured. I know it involved Scott Brown and Charlie and somebody. Else drove with Charlie, so Charlie drove Scott. Say it was Scott Brown. I can't, I can't remember the exact person it was, but say it was Scott Brown's car. I think it was Brownie's car anyway. Uh, so Charlie jumped in Brownie's car. Somebody followed Charlie. You've been to Lennoxton, have you? So there's like one big mass. The training complex is on one big hill, mountain kinda. So there's another hill, there's another hill just over, yeah. just the other side. So Charlie's injured, and this other person's injured who's followed. I don't know who it is. Um, so they've trained some on. So they've woof, straight out car. Charlie's jumped in Brown's car, driving away. They went and placed his car on the other mountain. 
on the other hill. <laughs> I don't know what, it's about, about 35 minutes away. Went and drove the car, left on the other hill, and then the person who followed him, Charlie jumped back in his car and drove back and just left it. Left, put his keys and all back in his pocket, just left the car on the other hill, just in a wee car park, just abandoned the car. Just Then just went home as a casual as if no one's hand. Boys came back in, right? Brownie's probably just left. I, don't, I, I couldn't even tell you what happened, how he got his car then. In fact, maybe, maybe your car's just still there, do you know what I mean? It's madness. It's honestly good. The Mo, Mo Bangura one as well, so Mo Bangura came in and he had this wee tiny A1 at the time. It was embarrassing. He had this wee A1, but he tried to like up. Tried to put like all these orange, like see these speed speed things on the side and all. Yeah. So again, yeah. I, again, I think it was Charlie or maybe Mika, yeah, Lustig. Um, they took it and drove it like just outside where you go and just put all these see these wee sticky notes. Put all these sticky notes all over it. Covered the whole car in sticky notes. Wheels, alloys, everything. Window wipers, the lot get covered. And Mo, see the thing is, Mo Bangura walked past and all went out. All the boys were watching. That, I always remember. Just went out, walked past the car. As if it wasn't his, he's like, boys, where's my car? Walked past the car, <laughs> didn't, re- didn't recognise it. <laughs> all, like, all different colours of sticky notes now on it. Crazy, I don't know, I don't know what's funny, are you attempt at Mobangura's accent? <laughs> I, I think he's like Nigerian as well, and I spoke in like an English accent from Bradford. I don't know what was going on. But, um, I would, yeah. Honestly, there's so many. There's so many. There's honest. There's some of I just can't tell you. But there's there's so yeah. many. There's so many pranks. The day, obviously, remember the whole thing came out when he went in many of battled Chris Commons. Chris Commons. <laughs> obviously, every Friday, every Friday we used to have like all the media. All the media were allowed in. So we used yeah. to walk in, and there must have been about I'm not even exaggerating about a hundred or maybe fifty to hundred media people just standing in the middle. You still when you're warming up and that take pictures of blah blah blah. So we were all standing out in the pitch and the gaffers and Neil Lennon shouted, Boy, so where's Puff? Could comes his nickname's called Puff because he used to love Puff Pastry when he was younger. Um <laughs> so as he's like, Where's Puff? And obviously a few boys know what's going on, probably Charlie and Brownie. He's like, Oh, he's fine, he's coming, he's coming. So everyone's shouting, Fine, 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 waiting on him. And he walks out and he's got all this neck brace on and like he's got somebody to paint like a bruise on his eye and all. So he does all this stuff because the media's out there. He comes out as if Neil Lennon's battered him because it was out the day before that Neil Lennon meant to have battered him on the Thursday in training. So he came out on the Friday with all this neck brace on and <laughs> painted his face like bruises and all. It's hilarious, man. There's loads. <laughs> Obviously, we'd oh, say, when you asked there was so many, what characters, there was loads, honestly, so many. Anthony Stokes, yeah. big character as well. There was, there was, there was millions. Effie Ambrose, there was loads of them. And obviously Big Van Dyke as well. So he was a big character as well, so. Yeah, I mean, you can spend all day talking about the stories and stuff, and unfortunately, yeah. we don't have all the time in the world to do that. But yeah. just, just obviously, um, fast forward to when you were making your debut against uh, Ross County. What yeah. did you know? Did you know beforehand the the week leading up to that? Did you know you were in line for a start? Well, the thing is, that was um, that was just before I'm right in saying that was just before the Barcelona game. So I kind of, I kind of had a, I was doing really well, done really well that preseason. And the whole situation was I always wanted to just play first team football. Like I was just always like as it, I got to that point and listen, the midfielders that I, I remember looking I come back for preseason, we went to Austria and I done really, really well. And played the, the games and what came back and I was like, I just want more of that. And we played first team over there and I was doing really well. The boys were encouraging me and they just kept saying, Keep wanting hard to get your opportunity or blah blah blah. If you need to go on loan, let me know. The boys are saying me, if you need to go on loan for six months to get games and know what it's like and come back and play. We'll help you. We'll get clubs, good players, and know people. And I was like, yeah, yeah. So 
that was starting to get in my head. And I went to Neil Lennon and I said, listen, we had we midfielders had with Scott Brown, Joe Ledley, Victor Winyama, Benham Kayal, um Dylan McGee was in around the first team then, was in the first team then as well. You Chalmo Grew played centre mid. Um, there was loads, there was packed, it was the strongest bit of our team, do you know what I mean? Packed. Yeah. And they're all internationals as well. So I was like, I've got no chance here. So I went to Neil Lennon a couple of, maybe a month or so before and I was like, Gaffer, I remember going in. It's the first time I knocked on his door as well to get in the office. I was shaking going in. And he was just like, sit down and relax. What are you shaking for? Sweating and all. Probably smelled the beer off me <laughs> across the table. I was sweating. And he was like, relax. And I was like, listen, I want to play here and all, yes. But at the same time, like, I want to be a footballer. Like, I don't want to just be like, get to a certain point and just fall off and never play football again. Do you know what I mean? So I was like, yeah, yeah I think, do I, do I need to go on loan? Like, I know I'm not good enough to get to that where they are to now and play. And he's like, who said you're not good enough? Did I say you're not good enough? And I was like, no. And he's like, you're running around my first team. You will not be going on loan this whole year. Not in January. So if it's your agent that's telling you, then tell him to come and speak to me. So I kind of, then from then on, it was, from then on, as I say, it was, it was been a wee bit harder on me. And Neil yeah. had that, like, see if he was hard on you, he kind of cared. Do you know what I mean? See if he wasn't hard on you, or wasn't even talking to you, or if you gave the ball away, he wasn't saying anything or whatever. You'd be like, he doesn't care about me or something. Do you know what I mean? He's, he's one of those managers. So he was kind of being hard on me, not always in front of people. Sometimes on my own, he'd be like, you need to do this better. You can't do that. You need to do this. Do you know what I mean? So I kind of knew that he was taking a wee bit more interest in me. So it came. Yeah. That week, no, I, I, didn't, I didn't know. Obviously, we used to go... Um, I'd be, I think it wasn't, I, I think I'd only maybe been in like maybe, I don't know if it was a week, I think it was a week after the Barcelona game in fact, it might, I think I'd only maybe been in like five or six, maybe seven squads before, um, so I was just still getting used to this whole going away in the hotel Friday night, because we used to go in the, we used to train on Friday and then the bus used to come to Lennox and we used to leave our cars, some people all leave their cars at the hotel Dakota and I lived two minutes for Dakota and I was still getting this whole fact of like, going away and staying with, like, Scott Brown and stuff, do you know what I mean? And, like, in a hotel room and having dinner with him, sitting at a table and having dinner and having a laugh. Like, I was still struck at that point. I was still really quiet, but still, like, starstruck, kind of. So I was getting used to all that. And then, obviously, I think we were maybe 4 nil up or something. And then we had one sub left. And I remember just thinking, like, we were 4 nil up. So I was like, all right, even if I'm going to make a mistake, who cares? And it was, like, 25, 30 minutes to go. And I just got up. And obviously, three subs I got every time. We were 4 0 up or 3 0 up, 4 0 up, I think, yeah. And I just, I just got up and run down the touchline myself and started running about. And I remember Neil Lennon looking at me going past as if, the fuck's this wee guy then? And I just run down the touchline. <laughs> it was 60,000, we were running 4 0. So all, all the fans are going mad singing. And I was like, even if I don't go on, I want to stand here and just listen to them all. You know what I mean? Because all my mates used to sit down where I used to warm up. So, um, yeah, just standing, I was just warming up, and then next minute he just whistled. I was literally in there for two minutes, it felt like, and he just whistled and said, Right, you're making your debut, go on. And he just, I remember just like going to take my jack off, and I, my hands were shaking, pulling down my zip. It's the only thing I can, I can remember bits of it, obviously, but it's the only thing I can remember really to the, the like warm up or anything. Um, my hands were shaking, trying to pull down my zip, and then couldn't get my jack off. And then it was worked down. He's like, Would you fucking hurry up? And I was standing on a touchline, and seeing I was standing on my touchline. <laughs> I just went into another world, man. I was still touching him for like five minutes and he was saying stuff to me and I still to this day do not know what he said. I was just staring <laughs> at the fans thinking this is unbelievable. I started like wee spots in my face and I was like a wee boy. Like, I think I was maybe 16 or I think it was 17 or something. It must have been 17, yeah. So I was like, it's mental, honestly. Even though we're 4 0 up, I think we ended up winning. I think it was that game, I we're 4 0 up. I, went, oh, I should have scored as well when I went on. like. 
is that feeling like the best feeling in the world? Make just making that just go yeah. on for something up like is it something that's been like probably the best of your career, or is it just right up there? Uh, like yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, listen, I mean, as I say, I don't want to go back to like Coke Bridge or whatever, but you obviously know it because you've got family from there. But when you're from Coke Bridge, people say you you bleed. You, if you cut me open, you bleed green. Do you know what I mean? And, and that's just the way yeah. it is. Like, never now. We, listen, we you play one minute for Celtic from Coke Bridge, or where you play hundred games, like. You're a legend there. Even now, when I go home, like you go to certain places and stuff, and you just even now, when I go to a restaurant in Coatbridge, sometimes it just doesn't play if it's certain restaurants. So, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Um, so as I said at the start of the show, I was like, giving you my left and right arm for me to go and play at Celtic Park, yeah, an actual official match, you know what I mean? So, yeah, it was it was it was probably the biggest thing. And as I say at the start as well, it was knowing that everything my family done for me, whether it was my dad or my grand or even my mum to a certain degree as well, that um. Everything they've done, actual got they got something back. Do you know what I mean? So um, it was it was special, yeah. So see see after you made your de- your debut and stuff, what what sort of happened after that? Did you stay around the first team because you you didn't really make another appearance for quite a while, didn't you? What what, what was the reason behind that? Because um, I played that that was on the Saturday. Yeah. And then for people that don't know, we were in on a Sunday. I think we had a game midweek, uh, but I think we did we had a game midweek in champion in the Champions League. Or maybe it was midweek in the SPL, whatever. We had a game, so in the Sunday, all the boys that started um, didn't train, and all the subs, and then they put up some young boys as well, like people from my age group used to come up and train. So you should just do like small blow, like wee boxes, and then games. So um, I think we were playing something, I, can't remember, I think it was Tuesday or Thursday. So anyway, the first team boys were started, and all didn't train. So it was just, there's maybe like 10 or 12 boys, so it wasn't a big group. So um, we were playing wee games. This was on a Sunday the next day, and I just come from the highest high that I'd ever been at. And on a yeah. Sunday, the yeah. last the last wee mini game, I went to cross the ball and ruptured my ankle. Yeah, was out for fourteen weeks. Yeah, and that kept, that does set you back big time. Yeah, right? yeah, it sent me. Wasn't it? It sent me back massive because, as I say, when you get to that point, you get to the highest point, and then you. It was the first. Listen, I'd rolled my ankles and the positioning type of player on that you always get kicks in your ankles, whatever. But it's a proper first big injury that I got and I was only 17 um, so from then on I was like and obviously you're, listen, you're coming up from football um, you start to think everything you come up from football that's all you think people just tell you like, just people used to always say sticking at school I never stuck in at school I used to go to school twice a week and see even when I went to school, school twice a week in the last year I knew I was leaving do you know what I mean I knew I had that professional contract yeah. so in those classes I actually sit and told them my thumbs I didn't care and I've got no issue saying that do you know what I mean like it's one of the only things that I didn't, I wouldn't change because it's got to where I am. But at the same point, like, I'd never done an exam really in school. You know what I mean? It's I tell people, I tell my girlfriend now here, I still never done a proper exam. I've done the mock exams and stuff. I've never done an exam. I wasn't at school. And it wasn't yeah. as if I dogged it. I just wasn't at school. Do you know what I mean? So I, I was always in football and it's always something I was just like, stuff everything and everyone else, apart from my bubble of people in football. That was my whole focus. Do you know what I mean? And, um, at that point, when you're out, I know it's only 14 weeks, you're only 17, but at that point, you're like, shit, what happens if I can't play football again? Like, all that goes through your head, and you're only a young boy, and you've just come from the highest point and to the lowest. And then, as I say, all those midfielders, eventually, at that time when I was making my debut and I was on the bench, like, boys like Beram Kaya, and um, they weren't, I was on the bench ahead of them. Cal McGregor wasn't in the squad, you know what I mean? I was, I was ahead of those, those players. So yeah. it was now the fact of I need to go and fight this battle with my ankle first and then I need to go and climb that mountain again of getting in front of player A, B, C, D, do you know what I mean? And um, 
it was hard, and that for me, that's when I probably questioned myself a lot. Um, not even just that injury, but even when I came back, I questioned myself a lot. Like, am I really actually good enough to be here? And it's probably looking back on it now, it's probably the hindsight of where I failed. I wasn't mentally strong enough to like. I believe I wasn't mentally person to play for Celtic. As, as, and then it goes back to what. Tommy Burns used to always tell me it's easy to get there, but it's hard to stay there. And that's when you find out the best players. Do you know what I mean? I might have been a good player or whatever, but I wasn't strong enough mentally. Like, and I can openly and honestly admit that. I wasn't, football-wise, was I good enough? Yes, I was good enough. But I wasn't mentally strong enough to cope with the demands and the pressure of being at a, such a big club. Because whether you're a Celtic fan or a Rangers fan, it's a huge club. And you have to yeah. be men- mentally strong enough to deal with that. And, that. and not even just games or off the pitch. Training every day was the toughest thing ever. Boys used to, I still speak to boys who were older than me, and it's, you get nervous going to training. And I wasn't, I used to get that as well. As I said, I was very, not shy, I was shy, I was very within myself. And I wasn't, as I say, I wasn't yeah. mentally strong enough to be a, a, a massive club like that. Football wise, yes, I believe, I still do believe I was good enough at the time to play loads of games and go and do what people said what I would have, should have done. I should have went and played more games, yes, with the ability that I had, but at the end of the day, it's not just about your football ability, it's about mentality, um, character, and I wasn't I wasn't mentally strong at that point um, to go and do what, I, do what I should have done at the end of the day, but that's something that's something that I look back on, and it, I say it's not something that, I wouldn't say not regret, but it's not something I could change at that point, you know what I mean? It's not as if you go out and work harder and, and train yourself to do that, um, because I'd done everything I possibly could have, but at that time, I wasn't... I wasn't mentally strong enough, really, to be honest. And when I came back from that, that from then on, that's when I done that. As I came back, played, involved in one or two other games, and then obviously got my first start. I only really got looking back on it now. If you look at it, I only really got two starts and played 20, 22 games or something. Um, I got two starts yeah. to say twenty-two games. As I said, I had a bit in your hand off it, but I should have got more. Um, I've got two league winners medals. Um, I've got. That's that, that's it. Do you know what I mean? I should have got more, but at the end of the day, if you offered me that when I was when I turned full time, I was taking off. And by the end of the day, I probably didn't get to where I wanted to get to. And yes, I, after I came back from that ankle injury, I was came back and then done my knee, done my knee ligaments. Got that was when I got my first operation. And then that was all within the first year, and that's when I really started to doubt myself. As in, am I strong enough to come back from this? And then I came back, I done my MCL, got got an operation on it. Eight weeks, um, was out, came back, trained on a Thursday, went to sleep Thursday night, woke up Friday morning, my knee was, was as big as the moon when I woke up in the morning, so it, was, it was huge, and then I was out for an hour, six weeks, so I was I was a complete wreck, um, and then, listen, that's not, but yes, I had some injuries in the end of the day, but, end of the day, but as I say, I probably wasn't mentally strong enough to, to deal with a lot of things, it's, it's probably why in the end, it wasn't an end why I left, obviously I left with Ronnie, but it's why I didn't yeah. Yeah level that I probably should have got to. But see, see as well, uh, touching back upon what you were saying, the, the appearances and the winner's medals that you have for Celtics things are things people can't take away from you. You earned them, so you, know I mean? you earned your time, you, you earned your time the first time. And so no, after... 100%, 100%, yeah, like, I still, I still think with him, like, people, even my, my girlfriend here is a Rangers fan, my family's a Rangers fan, she wings me up all the time about it, but listen, as I say, like, I go back to it, everything I went through, my family went through, like, my dad's got my two winner's league medals, no one can take that, do you know what I mean? After yeah, only, exactly. I only, start, only started two matches, yes. Played whatever off the bench, it doesn't matter. But um, it's more than a lot of people. It's more than, or if you'd offer that to anyone else, I'm sure it's, it's a Celtic fan, I'm sure they would bite your hand off or, or tackle your grannies, yeah. they would say for it. So, <laughs> um, 
is what it is, listen. Went on. I've, I've had a good career and I've fully enjoyed it and I'm, I'm doing well just now as well. So the, the main thing for me was obviously staying fit after my injuries and, and I'm doing that just now. So. Yeah, I mean, you did mention there as well. Um, you left under when Ronnie came in after Lenny left, and yeah. obviously in between in between them times you had them injuries and stuff. So on the road, obviously you're com- coming back to, to try and impress and trying to get back into the first team. When Ronnie came in, did did you know straight away that he wasn't keen on you, or was it just he kind of ignored you and left you to the side? Um, it was a bit of both because it was weird because when I, even when I came back and. Lennon gave me the two starts and I was coming back again. I went in when I came back from my, that knee operation that I told you and I came back and then it got blew up and then it came back again. I got I actually got myself in probably the, one of the best conditions I was in. I was fully focused, fully fit. And I'd fully I'd filled myself out and I was I was competing um, with the first team players. And at that time I went to Lennon around, I think I want to say around February time and say um, just near the end of January or February because you can still go on loan then to teams yeah. in Scotland. So I went to him and says, Listen, I need to play games. Like, I'm not coming here and bullshitting you. Or I need you to be honest with me. I need to play games because, yes, I know I'm not going to play here right now, but I've just came back from these operations. I need to play. Like, it's not a case of, oh, you might do it. I need to play. And he's like, I totally agree with you, but you're not going on loan. And this is when, remember, Celtic were like, I think they're like nine points from winning the league around March time. Um, yeah. He was like, he sat me down and he gave me. But I remember going to his office and he brought out the calendar. And I think there was eight games left or nine game, eight games left, and there were three wins away. And he's like, um, "We win these three games, I'll play you the next five games." And I was like, "No problem, right? I'm staying." And he, that was it. Walked out the office. <laughs> yeah. I was like, "No problem." We went on a Saturday, lost. Went on a Tuesday, um, drew, and I went and won the next game. So I was, I went into him the next Saturday. And he was right. So you drew and won too. So you only really need an or what? five points or something or six points yeah. like, went lost the next Saturday lost the following Saturday went to Aberdeen won at Aberdeen and we won like two games to go and then he played me in the last game and then I was like madness what's the chances of that happening like we were flying all year <laughs> and then he shows me the whole calendar and said right win these next three games and I actually think it was like lost to St Johnson away from um, I want to say I can't remember Hibs or Hearts I can't remember exactly who it was but we were and I was like what is the chances and then see before the end of that season I had a, I had a year and a half left my contract and Lennon came to me and said right, we're going to give you a new deal and I was like right, no problem he says we know you've been through a lot but we know you know how highly we rate you and I was only um, 20 at this point still and I was like yeah perfect so we'd, we'd, we'd quammed out the whole contract new four and a half year contract so it was like working about five years blah 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 and then um, Peter Lawwell went to the offices and everything. He's like, oh, bah, bah, bah. it's all done, no problem. So then it was all done. Lennon had left. I was in holiday in Dubai. I always remember it. holiday in Dubai. And I left my phone upstairs. I was at the pool, went upstairs, got my phone, come back down. My phone was ringing like mad. I was in the pool, came out of the pool. I was like, what the hell? I've got missed calls from my agent and from people. And I bah, answered it. New Lennon's been, New Lennon's left. And I was like, oh my God. First thing I'd done was phone my agent back and says, what's going on with the contract? He says, I'm waiting to hear back. So I I, I straight away just phoned Peter Lawwell, brass neck, just went, Peter, what's going on? And he's like, listen, well, hang me, this, that's when he told me, Ronnie Dyler. And he's like, Ronnie Dyler's made two things clear. Nobody leaves and nobody signed before he comes in. And I says, right, no problem. I ain't leaving. Right, what's my contract? And he's like, nobody signs nothing else. I can't do it. And blah, blah, blah. So I was like, oh my God. I've still got a year and a half left, but I'm thinking... That's five years, no problem. I'm chilled for five years, you know what I mean? At the end of the day, yes, you want to play football, but I'm thinking as well also, 
I'm, I'm, I'm fine yeah. for five years, no problem. Do you know what I mean? After my injuries, going through all that in my head, going down to the operation, fear and stuff, I was thinking, oh my God, that could be done playing in two years. Nobody's going to take me when I've just had two operations. Do you know what I mean? So I was thinking, yeah. I was thinking the bigger picture again, thinking, no problem, that's fine. I'm, I'm all right for five years. If they want to get rid of me after a year, no problem. I've got four years left. So um, go back, first day of training. Um, in the first team changing room, there used to be when you go in the door on the left-hand side, there used to be like a pin board or straight up on the pin board. They moved it to the left-hand side, it was straight up. And it used to be the players who were training. So like, I even got to a stage where I wasn't even looking at the board. Do you know what I mean? But this one day, I was just like, I need to look at this board. Looked at the board, my name wasn't on it. So I went round into the change room, reserve change room. My name wasn't on that. So I was like, what the hell? So the first team had all went out. And I was like, I can't go and walk out the first team. Even though I've been training with them for every day for a year and a half. My name isn't on the board. So I walked into the reserve um, pitch and Stevie Frail, John Kennedy had moved from the reserves to Ronnie Dyla. So I was even thinking in the yeah. summer, this is going to be perfect, mate. John Kennedy loves me. So, because I had a great relationship with him, still do, but I was like, this is going to be perfect. I'm going to be, it's going to give me more of a chance. Because he said to me as well, Ronnie Dyla, he said that when he signed, he wants to bring in youth and stuff. So I think this is perfect. Perfect thing. And then, so I walked down to the reserves, Stevie Frail's manager said, John, what are you doing? I was like, my name's not on the board. And he's like, okay, I'll phone up. Phone over and like, nah, he's not training me. From then on, I was like, nah, this is it. I need to get out of here. That was the first day. From then on, I knew. And I, I, I went to, I thought my agent at the time, I was like, told him. And he's like, what? But maybe it's just blah, blah, blah. Maybe it's just whatever. There was no young boys really with the first team. So right. I think, I think oh, maybe give him the benefit of the doubt. Maybe he's just, I don't know, whatever. Do you know what I mean? A week goes past. Two weeks goes past. I ain't even trained with the first team. I walk past him. He doesn't even say hiya. He doesn't even say my name, nothing. And then um, he calls over two young boys. Obviously, Liam Henderson goes over and does really well for him. <coughs> he goes over and I can't remember who the other one goes over. Maybe Stuart Finley or something goes over from reserves. I'm still with reserves. And I'm thinking, I say to the reserve manager, what is going on here? And he says, listen, I've been here most days saying, you're in good shape. Why is he not finding me? And he's just like, not, not interested. Not interested. Him, John Collins, not interested. He's like John Kennedy's pushing your boat, saying like, you've, you're one of the best young, you're the best young boy here. Blah blah blah. Wasn't interested whatsoever. From then on, I got to that was I went through that whole cycle six months till January. Then I was assigned to Bolton. Learning from my agent said, listen, tell me to come to Bolton. Um, came in January. And I said to him, I was out on the summer. Um, went to my agent, my agent went to Celtic, said he's not leaving, no. and then went to Peter Logan and I was like to Peter, like, I had a good relationship with Peter, because when you come through yeah. your friends, he really takes things with the young boys, and I was like, listen, I just want to leave, and he was like, I was like, I don't want to pay up, don't want anything from what's left in my contract, a year and a half, I just need to leave, I need to go and play football, I'm 21 now. I've sat for the last six, eight, ten months doing nothing, not even training with the first team, like, I'm training with boys who are like, 19, I know 19, 20 my age, but I've performed at a higher level um, for the last two years with the first team, three years. He's like, totally understand, I'll see what I can do. He says, no, you're not leaving, so I waited to the summer. Went down to Bolton with my agent, and um, they just signed the boy Philip Twarzik as well, who I was really close to. You remember boy Philip Twarzik? Yes, yeah, I remember him. Very good player. Um, so they just signed him, so I went down to Bolton. Um, Neil Wenham was like, listen, they were in the championship. He's like, you're going to come in the first team, you're going to be first team player, obviously, same first team contract, whatever. Um, but obviously, you're not going to box straight into the team, you need to prove to yourself. But also, there's good players here, he said. So, you might need to bide your time, whatever. And I just said, Listen, if you're honest with me and you give me the best chance like everyone else, no problem, you know what I'm like. I work hard, he said, perfect. So, we're, Bolton have a whole 
telling the stadium. So I was staying there, and then obviously my agent was staying there as well. So then I got a chap on the door, like just after dinner time, had dinner, went back. That was the dinner chat with Neil Lennon and my agent and stuff. And had dinner, went back to the room, got a chat maybe like an hour later. Um, my agent saying, listen, Blackpool's just flunked. Um, Blackpool just been relegated um, from the championship and the league one. They like they want to build a team around you. Um, they've obviously got a, they're going to have a massive influx of players because all the players have just they just got rid of the boy Jamie O'Hara and all and cleared cleared every everybody and uh, they want to build a new team and they, they want you to be like their midfielder and build a team around you. I just went right, no problem. Speak to Lennon. So I phoned me again five minutes. I said right, come down to the dinner hall. Went down and the Lennon was there and we just spoke and. Neil Lennon was like, at this point I said I'd had a good relationship and he's like, listen, I'm going to be honest with you, you're going to come here, you're going to be a squad player, you might play five games, you might play 15 games, you might start every game for me, I don't know. He says, um, but they've told you they're going to build, they want to build their team around you. And I was like, yeah, you're right. And I said, like, I need to play football. And then that night I just phoned Blackpool and said, right, no problem, and I'll be over tomorrow. And I just slept that night in the hotel, I was in Bolton, and then the next morning, it's only like maybe 15, 20 minutes to Blackpool. They've got a hotel as well in the stadium, so I just went over there and <laughs> signed it, signed the deal, and then I was that was me, it was there. That's that's how it all, that's a, all came about. Yeah, it's mental. That's a mental story, like especially this the the Ronnie Dallas side of things. But obviously, yeah. you touched upon there how you left and you you end up at Blackpool. But since then yeah. as well, you've been, you've played for Dunfermline, Rafe, and then Torn over here in Larne. And obviously, there's so much we want to talk about. But again, we'll have to fit it in and try and get off as well. But all time, yeah. See, yeah, see, see as well before before we go and, and to leave you on your ultimate five aside team. At the yeah, moment, you're with Lauren, and how 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 you doing this season anyway with Lauren? Yeah, listen, we're doing um, we're doing really well. As I said earlier, it's we started off really well. Obviously, got to got to the top of the table and stuff, and we were we were competing in the same playing. One of the big things about Lauren is that they like to play the right way. Do you know what I mean? The way I've been brought up and the philosophy I've been brought up in is. It's always trying to get the ball down, don't get me wrong. Obviously, you have to go and win your individual battles at a certain point and, and play and fight dirty, do you know what I mean? But at the end of the day, their whole biggest thing is getting the ball down and passing it, and that's exactly what you want to do here. And that's what, um, that's what got my attention. And at the end of the day, it's why I signed here. We're doing really well, and obviously, we've done since January. Um, but predominantly, we've done really well this year, and we'll hopefully kick on, get Europe, and then kick on for next year and hopefully go and challenge and win the league next year. So, um, but as yeah. I say, I, I love it here, I enjoy it here. And, I've done really well here for the last year. It's been a year I've been here now. I've had opportunities to go back to Scotland and England, but as I said, I'm settled here. I love it here. Um, I need my girlfriend in the house here, and I said I can't see myself leaving leaving here anytime soon. So I said I really enjoy it here. And it's, it's easy, and Every- the life's easy as well, so it's, it's perfect. Everything's looking up for you at the minute. Club football, personal life, I mean, could be any no. better. I mean, you're playing, playing well in the Irish League as well, like. Yeah, not perfect. As you say, everything's everything's looking well and I'm staying healthy. And as I said, also after I left Celtic, I had another two or three operations and that was the biggest thing throughout my career before I came here. And it's, at the end of the day, I'm, I'm not lying to you, it's, it's the reason why I came here. Um, first, because I had some bad injuries, but I stayed predominantly clear injuries and it's been the, it's been the main reason. As I say, I'm happy, happy off the pitch at the end of the day, so it's, I'm, I'm happy on the pitch as well. So there's no reason to, to change that. So Yeah. Well, before before we end today's show, I gave you the challenge like I did with Patrick McNally of trying to come up with an ultimate five-a-side team that you've played with. Have you managed to scramble the names together? Um, if not, you know, but I'll just do it off the cuff. Do I need to play a goalkeeper? No, no, you don't need to play a goalkeeper. You can do your fly nets. 
So it's five players. I don't need to include myself, do I? Or did no, Paddy no. include himself? No, he was on the bench. <laughs> oh, was he? I'll be the manager. In fact, I probably won't even need to be the manager. Um, <laughs> Jesus, right. I'll put, um, obviously, the big the big Dutchman in at, at the back. I'll play no goalkeeper. Big Dutchman can play centre-back and, and goals if needs be. <laughs> He'll fill the goals with Van Dijk. Um, listen, I don't really think I need to explain what no, he's good at. Definitely not. <laughs> I don't think he's really bad at anything, as I say, so he can probably cover in goals. So he's unbelievable. From the from the day one, when he came in, you could see it straight away. Big six foot, whatever it is. Um, big good looking guy. Straight up hitting free kicks at 40 yards, sticking in the top corner. We were all thinking, oh my God, who's this guy? Um, and it was it was, it was was no qualms. He wasn't there very long. And People say to me all the time, yeah, he couldn't, couldn't have been good at when he was at Celtic. He was that good. He could have left Celtic and went straight to Liverpool. He was that good. Yeah. Um, but obviously people have the whole persona about Scottish football but it's a lot harder than what people think so I'll play him um, got to put Scott Brown in put him with the armband as well as I said he's, he's an animal on the pitch but one of the biggest pranksters and jokesters and as I said one of the nicest people you'll ever meet as well I'll put him in there as well so um, I'm trying to think who else there's loads as much as he was a moaner technically he was probably one of, technically he's probably one of the best players I've, I've played with and it's Chris Commons Puff, um, maybe he's overweight, yes, but I'll put him in there as well. But as I said, technically, left foot, right foot, score for anywhere. That year with me, and I was predominantly the first team, some of the goals he scored, and I think he was imagine the top goal scorer as well. So um, I'll put him in there as well. So that's three. And probably for me, one of the best strikers I've ever played with, um, Gary Hooper. He's in there. Oops, yeah. He can, he can score for anywhere, as I said, create um, something out of nothing. Um, put him in there, and then. Listen, there's so many players I don't even don't even know. But in fact, there's unbelievable. Listen, there's going to be some unbelievable players left out. But I'll put somebody for you there, Northern Irishman, Paddy McCourton. Ah, uh, uh, guy is an absolute genius. On the ball, technically, um, as I'll tell you, still before we go, he's in my team right. So he's the fifth person. We used to play this game half the pitch game, and it was we see the wee mini goals. Have you seen them? Three mini yeah. goals. So used to a team used to two teams. A team used to defend the three mini goals, and a team used to attack the three mini goals. And I'm saying this: we played it in the whole half of the pitch. Paddy McCourt, obviously, is the laziest man ever, right? Couldn't run. There was something wrong with him. I don't know what it was, but he couldn't run. He couldn't. If he started, he couldn't last past 50 minutes. That's why he didn't play so many games at Celtic. But one of the best players you'll ever see, honestly, unbelievable. Yeah. He used to stand in the middle goal because see if he scored a goal and the wee goals he used to get it again. He used to give it to the team who just scored. He used to stand at the side of the mini goal. He used to pass the ball. He used to just get it out of his feet and zing it 50 yards into the wee goals. And he, see, even before it hit the goal on the other side, he'd be like, yep. Like the gaffer would be feeding the goals in. The ball's in. He'd be like, yep, give me the ball again. He's like, what are you talking about? He's like, it's in the net. Take a ball, zip it again. <laughs> 50 yards. So Neil, Neil Lennon blows his whistle and listen. Paddy's just standing here, just zinging balls into the goal. Whatever goal he wants, 50 yards, ping, into the goal. Neil Lennon went and put like cones halfway through the pitch. And he's like, you can't score unless you're over the half pad. He's like, fuck this, I'm away in that. <laughs> Honestly, it was unbelievable. <laughs> unbelievable. One of the best I players you'll ever see. There's my five or side team. He's a total enigma, as you said. He couldn't last the 90, but when he played, he was fantastic. And to go through your, your five or side team, Van Dijk, Scott Brown, Chris Commons, Gary Huber, and Paddy McCourt. And John, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on. We could have spoke for hours. There are so many Not stories, no I'm sure. You didn't get in, but we'll probably yeah. have you on in the future to talk about other things as well, hopefully. Yeah, no problem, yeah. Um, have you enjoyed your time with the End of Sales podcast? 
Yeah, it's perfect, yeah. As I said, we'll come on in our time and all this opens up and everything's over. I'm sure we'll, we'll get a coffee or whatever it is and, and get a get a face-to-face. But no, it's been perfect. It's been a privilege, you said so. No worries, big man. Thanks again. And to everyone who's listening, stay well and keep safe. Hail, hail.